You know, uh, it's great to be here today. Thanks for coming. Um, when Tom asked me to uh, bring the message a couple months ago, um, I was like, oh, oh yeah, that's, that's cool, because it was about a year and a half ago I got to do this again, and um, I just get really excited about it. I, I'm not one of these people who's really afraid of standing in front of a crowd and speaking. What terrifies me is getting ready for it. It usually takes me weeks, and you can ask my wife, it's just agony, of um, just trying to figure out what I'm going to talk about. Um, and, and a lot of that is because, honestly, I don't want to waste your time. You know, I can get up here and I can just blabber or, or say, a, say something or, you know, whatever, but I really want the Holy Spirit to speak today because... You guys come to church on Sunday, and you know, it's an hour and a half, two hours if Tom speaks, but sometimes, you know, you could just, it's wasted time unless the Holy Spirit meets with us, and that's what I've been praying over the last couple of weeks is, what, what, Lord, what do you want everybody to hear today? And, um, it, you know, there's, there's, a really temp, there's a lot of temptation when you're putting the message together that, oh, I got to be cool, I got to be funny, I got to be, you know, dynamic speaker. But I don't think that's what God wants because I think a lot of times those get those things get in the way of what God really wants to say. I used to have you ever gone to like uh, Christian conferences and things like that or oh you got to come to my church because we have this dynamic speaker. Whatever that is. But I wonder sometimes whether it be more, most important uh, to go and hear uh, somebody who is really hearing from the Holy Spirit and who's really praying. Um, and, it, you know, it's, I think that's what we need to look for uh, in the future for our church, you know. Um, I want to talk a little bit today about a guy who definitely wasn't a dynamic speaker, okay? And it's this guy. You might not have heard of this guy. This is Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards was born in 1703. Um, and someone was commenting, this is what I looked like in college with my hair. <laughs> but, <clears throat> but he inherited, Jonathan Edwards inherited a church from his grandfather. And it was a dead church. Uh, most of the time, during that time, people didn't go to church to worship God. Um, most of the time, it was a political uh, it was it was a way to make political contacts, maybe business contacts. Um, you went to your church and you you met people, um, and that's the kind of uh, church that Jonathan Edwards inherited in Northampton, Massachusetts. But Jonathan Edwards was a man of prayer. Uh, he was he was an amazing guy. He um, he was definitely not a dynamic speaker because. Well, first of all, he couldn't see. He had to wear these big, thick glasses. He studied about 13 hours a day, studied the scripture, and he prayed. And when he would give a sermon, he would write out the sermon longhand. And he would stand up there, and he would have his, he, he would have his head down in his notes. He screwed his face down close to his sermon to read it, and he read it in a monotone. So not very exciting, but he gave this sermon in 1741 called Sinners in the ha Hands of an Angry God. Um, and 
that was probably his most amazing and well-known sermons. Let me read to you what happened while he was giving that sermon. It said, people screamed aloud, clutched the back of the pews and the stone pillars of the church, lest the ground open and swallow them alive into hell. That was a good sermon. <laughs> and, 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 you know, just from this guy, you know, just leaning over his notes and, and reading them. So obviously, it's about the Holy Spirit. It's about um, God working, you know. That was the start of what was called the first great awakening. There were um, several periods in the history of our country, the history of the church, called the Great Awakenings. And these were um, led by men of God who um, God just used mightily. At that time, it wasn't the United States yet, but our, our early country was a mess. Sound familiar? It was a mess. I mean, it was like the Wild West. Um, people didn't know the Lord. It was every man for himself. Um, and it was perfect time uh, for these pastors. They, they went from town to town. Uh, guys that you've probably heard of, Charles Finney um, and, of course, Jonathan Edwards. Charles Finney would ride into a town, and people would start falling down in repentance before he even said a word. And it was just because of the Holy Spirit. And um, in Kentucky, Kentucky was big coal mining area at the time, and... Um, there, 20,000 people came out to hear uh, a speaker. That was the beginning of these tent revivals. You ever hear about these tent revivals? People would bring their tents, and they would camp there. 20,000 people, and these were all coal miners. What happened after that was kind of interesting because in the coal mines, the horses and the donkeys stopped working because they would, they would drag the coal sledges but they stopped working because they couldn't understand what their owners were saying to them anymore because they were so used to foul language. And all these people were converted to Christianity. They weren't using the foul language anymore, and the horses and the donkeys didn't know what to do. <clears throat> it, was just, it was just an amazing time in history. And, you know, I really believe that God can do that now. Do you ever watch the news and get discouraged? <clears throat> yeah. You know, because... I don't think things have changed that much. You look at ISIS, racism, um, all the unrest, politics. Um, but these things aren't really new. And the one thing that we have to remember is what? God is greater than these things. God is good. God is in control. And God will prevail. So before I, I just wanted to introduce that Jonathan Edwards to you, but um, would you just join me in prayer as we get into this? Holy Spirit, we just want you to be here. We, we want to hear from you. Um, we want everything else to die, and we just want to be alive to you. We want to hear your voice. We want to um, hear you when you call us to do something, to say something, and, Lord, I pray for um, everyone here to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's anybody here who doesn't have that, Lord, come, Holy Spirit, come right now. And would you fill this place and be honored by us? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So <clears throat> it's kind of interesting because um, the verse I wanted to look at, um, 
is this out of the book of Acts. Uh, now, same thing, the book of Acts. You got these men who are uneducated, unschooled fishermen who have no power in speaking whatsoever. They're definitely not dynamic speakers. But after the Holy Spirit filled them in Acts chapter 4, they changed completely. And in Acts chapter 4, the disciples were brought in before the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and they were made to give an account. What is this stuff you're talking about? And Peter launches into this sermon. And one of the last things Peter says is this verse right here, Acts 4 verse 12. He says, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. That is the crux of the gospel right there. In one verse, that is the crux of the gospel. And I want to take that verse and I want to kind of pick it apart, okay? Because we live kind of in a post-modernistic society and um, Christianity is not that popular anymore, Well, it's not much different than it was in 1741, right? It wasn't much different. I'd like to look at three common misconceptions uh, that we have about Christianity, okay? Um, And the first one is this one. We're basically good people. Tom brought up this verse a couple of weeks ago. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Who can know it? I don't think we believe that. How many people believe that? How many people go, Oh, the heart is desperately wicked? Yeah, that's me. And deceitful above all things? Who can? Yeah, that's me. That's me. Most people don't think that way. We think we're good people. Nice people. Yeah, okay, so once in a while we do bad things, but overall we're good people. We just do bad things. But that's not what the scripture says. The scripture says the heart is desperately wicked. You ever, you ever, watch, um, you ever watch the news and you see these guys who do these horrible things? Uh, you know, they're keeping slaves down in their basement for 10 years, or they go out and they shoot up a mall. And what does the news do? They, they go and they interview this guy's neighbors, right? That's the first thing they do. Oh, let's, let's go talk to the neighbors. And the neighbors, what do they always say? Oh, I, can't, I can't believe he did that. I mean, he was such a nice guy. I mean, he used to, like, help old ladies across the street, and he took care of my cat. And, the, and then you find out that they're capable of doing such horrible things, right? And then uh, you, you ever go to a funeral? And uh, I, I've been to a couple funerals where I kind of had to be there because I had to be there. And I didn't really want to be there because, honestly, I kind of felt the world was a better place without this guy anymore. <laughs> but, but what did they do? I mean, they stand up there and they go, Joe is in a better place. You know, he was a great guy. See, we don't believe that at our church. (laughs) You know, here at LCC, our concept is what? We are screwed up. Every one of us is screwed up. And that's really true. We're all sinners, you know? Um, And if you think, oh, if you think I'm a wonderful person, 
then obviously you don't know me very well, right? And, and it's the same with you, right? But, but Mike, I know a lot of really good people. What about Mother Teresa? People always bring up Mother Teresa. I don't know why. Well, it, it doesn't matter. You can do a lot of good things, but really, where is your heart when you're doing those good things? Okay. Um, the Bible says in Romans 3 that there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. We all have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. My gosh, can you make that any more clear? You know, this is what theologians call original sin, and also there's another term called the utter depravity of man. That's what we are. We're utterly depraved. I want to... Uh, show you this um this is a poem that's written by c.s lewis and somebody c.s lewis was thinking about all the good things that we do um you know you give to a charity or whatever his idea was even all those good things that you do there's some sort of selfishness in there that's causing you to do it so C.S. Lewis wrote this uh, poem called As the Ruin Falls. It says, all this is flashy rhetoric about loving you, talking to the Lord. I've never had a selfless thought, I'm supposed to say thought, I've never had a selfless thought since I was born. I am mercenary and self-seeking through and through. I want you, God, all friends, merely to serve my turn. So even when... We try to do good things. We're always self-seeking. We're always trying to get something out of it, even deep down inside. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that. Even the righteous things that we do are just filthy rags before God. Okay. Someone... Uh, there's a guy named Jeremy Peters, and he's a writer for the New York Times. And he's a religion writer, um, but it's really interesting to read his articles because he doesn't know much about religion. He just, he just writes these articles. And I think a lot of the times they're meant to like degrade Christianity. And he wrote this one article about how the Bible says that homosexuals should be executed. This whole article about how the Bible says that homosexuals should be executed. <sighs> the, the, and he uses the verse out of Romans chapter 1, and I think you're all kind of familiar with that one. He, I think his idea is he wanted to use that as ammunition to show that Christianity and that the Bible are hopelessly outdated and intolerant. I think that was his idea that he was trying to get across. But he used Romans chapter 1, and if you, if you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Romans chapter 1. If you start like at verse 18, this is where he, he um, got his idea. He talks about, I mean, it's clear that he's talking about homosexuality here. 
But if you go, if Jeremy Peters had just gone on in the book of Romans, uh, verse 28 says, Furthermore, they do not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. He gave them over to a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. Now, here we go. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of them who practice them. Okay, so that's quite a list there. Who here is innocent of all those things on that list? This list literally indicts every person on the planet, and that's the idea. That's the idea that Paul was trying to make. He was trying to say that every one of us have sinned and that every one of us deserve the death penalty, right? Not just a certain group of people. Sounds like bad news, but it does get into good news here in a minute. (laughs) In Romans 3, it goes on, if you skip ahead, all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So that's the gospel. We all deserve to die. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God is offering you this gift of eternal life that's been totally paid for. And all you have to do is accept it. That's the gospel. So we've all sinned. So what do we deserve? This is the second misconception, and I just want you to watch this video. Look at that. The perfect shot. I hit that on the front. So you're not worried about getting in trouble? You know, with God? Oh, I think you've got bigger things on this plate. So you're not worried about it, you know? Let me let you in on a little secret, kid. There is no help. Seriously? No help? That's it, that's it. So everyone just goes to heaven? Yep. End of story. Even the bad people? Yeah, they're, they're, they're in another section. See, they got this thing figured out. <laughs> you distracted me. Look, 
You're focusing too much on one little thing that I said. It was just a hunch, okay? A hunch? I'm just going to judge based on a hunch? I don't freak out You know, it, it's kind of funny, but, you know, Jay there was more, he, he believed in heaven, I think, more than he did in hell. You ever notice that? That people have no problem with heaven, but they do have a problem believing in hell. In fact, Pew did a survey, and they found that 78% of people believe in heaven. But only 58% of people believe in that there's a hell. Kind of interesting. I, I, I'm not sure why, because the concept comes from the same place. Um, it, it's just, and it's just not popular to believe that God punishes sin. Um, God's a loving God. So, so how can there be a hell if, if God's a loving God, and how can God send people there? And that's what I want to kind of talk about is the second misconception that people have is that God doesn't punish sin. Now, it sounds like I'm getting into hellfire and damnation preaching here, but believe me, there's a good ending here, so, so hang on. Because um, what I'd like to do is I'd like to totally change our concept of this whole idea of hell and punishment. Okay, But, but the first thing you have to do is you have to admit that it exists. You have to admit that hell is a real place because it's scriptural, and if you believe the scriptures, then it's there. And that the devil's a real person. Oh, here you go, talking about the devil again. And again, I, I, you can tell I really like C.S. Lewis. Someone came up to C.S. Lewis and said, oh, do you really mean at this time of day to reintroduce our old friend the devil with his hoofs and horns and all? And Lewis responded to that, and he goes, well, what the time of day has to do with it, I don't know. Um, and I'm not too particular about the hoofs and horns. Uh, but in other respects, my answer is, yes, I do. I do not claim to know anything about his personal appearance. If anybody really wants to know him better, I would say to that person, don't, real, don't worry. If you really want to, you will. Whether you like it or not is another question. I like Lewis. But here's the cool thing. Everybody has this idea that if I'm bad, God, God will send me to hell. Well, to be honest with you, if you look at Scripture, hell was never meant to be a place for people. It was never meant to be a place for humans, for mankind. It was cre according to the Bible, it was created for the devil and for his angels, for the fallen angels. We were created for something glorious. When we were created, we were created in the image of God. We are his highest creation. We walked around with him in the garden. That's what we were meant to be. So imagine how much it would break God's heart and how much it does break his heart for somebody to go to hell, to go to a place that's not, that mankind was never meant to go. 
How can a, but how can a loving God send anybody there? A loving God doesn't send anybody to hell. You go to hell because you didn't want to go to heaven. You go to hell because you rejected that gift and you said, nope, don't want it. I'm going to do this on my own. Okay. It's a free gift. And all you got to do is take it. And then people have this idea of God punishes us here on earth. That there's temporal punishment. That if we do things that are bad, bad things happen to us. And I'd just like to point to another scripture for you. And this is in um, John chapter 9. And I love this, this section of scripture. It's, it's, it's such a fun chapter. So Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they see this guy born blind. And the disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned? Did this man or his parents that he was born blind? And Jesus goes, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But Jesus said, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, come on. Don't you sometimes wonder when bad things happen to you, maybe God's getting you, or maybe this is punishment for something that you did? You know, I look through Scripture, and I don't see God working that way. I don't see that at all. These things happen to us because God is glorified. God wants to be glorified. Isn't that funny? And that's exciting, too. Some people see God as some kind of ogre who's waiting to get us if we don't do the right thing. I even know people who say, like, you get up in the morning, you go to work, and you get in a fender bender, you get in a car accident. It's like, well, they say, did you, did you pray before you went to, went to work? Did you pray that you wouldn't get in an accident? Well, no, I never thought of that. Well, that's why. You got in that accident because you didn't pray first. Ridiculous. God isn't this ogre who sits up there waiting to zap you because, because you didn't do something or you did something. God loves you incredibly. You are his highest creation, and he doesn't want you to be punished at all. And he's done everything so that you don't have to be punished. He takes the pleasure in the death of no one. All right. What's another misconception that people have about Christianity? Before I get into that, let me just tell you, I like to play a game. When I'm driving along, going to work, I see people with bumper stickers. Now, I don't, I don't have any bumper stickers on my car because, I don't know, maybe I just don't believe in anything so profoundly that I want to mess up my car to put, a, to put a bumper sticker. I did have one of those. Sandy and I ran a half marathon, so I got one of those 13.1 stickers and put it on there, but someone took it. <laughs> but... I like to play this game where, where you see all these bumper stickers and you can kind of picture what the person looks like based on their bumper stickers. And then like I'll, I'll drive up next to them and I'll look and I'll see, do they really look like that? Sometimes I'm right. But I found these, these great bumper stickers. Can you read those? 
That's, that's about true, right? Let's see, what else? This is more for the scientists in the crowd. If you're not really a scientist, you probably don't get it. If, if, if you're wondering about it, grab a scientist afterward. This is for the runners. <laughs> this one I thought was kind of sad. <laughs> There's, I'll tell you, if you get online and look up these stick figure bumpers, they're all over the place, and some of them are not appropriate for church. <laughs> I don't know who put this one on. I, that, it wasn't me. It got stuck in there. <laughs> this one, I, you see this one everywhere, right? I, I and this is the one I really like to pull up next to the person who's driving and see what they look like. Because I always kind of picture them, you know, as like kind of hippie type, you know, wearing tie-dye or something. Sometimes I'm right. But if you've never seen this before, it says coexist. And the letters are made up of different symbols of all the major religions uh, in the world. And I try to figure out what is what are people trying to say with this? And what I could figure out is... One of two things, okay? Either it's based on this wonderful idea that we should all just love each other and get along. Well, okay, I got no problem with that. But I get a feeling that the real reason people put on that bumper sticker is because they have this idea that all religions are pretty much the same, so it doesn't really matter what you believe, so why can't we just all get along? Yeah. So the... The third misconception that I'd like to approach is that there are many ways to get to heaven. Remember what Acts chapter 4 said. It said, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by, we, by which we must be saved. It's, it's pretty clear. Okay? If, um, if you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 17. This is another, anybody who hears me speak a lot, you're always like, does he ever leave the book of Acts? No, I don't. I love the book of Acts. So what's happening here is Paul, Paul gets to Athens, and he's kind of waiting for his friends to catch up with him. Um, they got kind of delayed. He had to get there early. So, you know, if you get to a city, you're traveling, you get there early waiting for your friends. So what do you do? You go down to the mall. You go to the, you know, what do you do in Athens? You go to the Acropolis and you look around. And that's what Paul did. So he's down there looking around. And he sees all these temples. Temples all over the place. And then he goes up and he sees this one, uh, it must have been like a pillar or something. And it said, to an unknown God, okay? So the, the, the Athenians were just trying to cover all their bases, right? Just make sure they didn't get anybody ticked off. So they had this pillar to an unknown God. So Paul's walking around there, and then if you look at verse, um, go to verse 30, he, he doesn't mince his words about these, all these gods. He says, in the past... 
I'm sorry, go back to 29. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. And then Paul spends some time in Athens talking about Jesus, talking about Jesus being the only way. Okay, so he didn't, he didn't really mince his words when he was in Athens. Okay? Um, the idea, and you look at today, the idea that Jesus is the only way to heaven really grates on the postmodernistic world today. They, they, they don't like that because it's too intolerant, right? But we're not making this stuff up. This, didn't, this stuff doesn't come from me or from any pastor. Jesus said it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. <laughs> it's pretty clear. Jesus also said that the, the gate that leads to heaven is narrow, and few will be the people who go that way because he's the only way. He's the gate. Um, I heard this story about um, a guy who's sitting on a flight. You sit on a flight, you sit next to some dude you don't know. And he sat down there, and the guy next to him turned to him and said, So, what do you do? And the guy goes, Well, I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. And the guy goes, Oh, that's really interesting. Um, you want to hear what I believe? And the pastor's like... Can't wait. Go ahead, tell me. And the guy was like, well, I believe that there's many ways to heaven. I believe it doesn't really matter what you believe, just as long as you believe something, and uh, that'll get you into heaven. That'll get you good with God. And my pastor friend said, fascinating, thank you, and he rolled over and he went to sleep. <laughs> so a couple hours later, the plane is coming into uh, their destination, and they start running into a little bit of weather. Okay? Starts getting bumpy, rocky. And sometimes that can be pretty terrifying, you know. And everybody starts gripping their their handrails as if, you know, if the plane goes down, gripping your handrail is going to do much good. <laughs> but but it's coming down like this. And my friend who's the pastor turned to this guy and he goes, I'm sure glad that the pilot of this plane doesn't have your theology. And the guy goes, what? Well, what do you mean? He goes, he goes, I'm sure that that pilot up there is listening to air traffic control. And air traffic control is telling him, I want you to turn right, go north-northwest at 350 degrees, descend to 10,000 feet. When you get to 10,000 feet, I want you to call approach control at 360.9. Calls approach control. They say, now you go to 5,000 feet and turn left heading 270 that pilot is doing exactly what, what he's being told. I'm sure glad he's not sitting up there going, there's many ways into the airport. It doesn't matter which way I go. I'll just go whatever. No, he's doing exactly what he's told to do. There's only one way to get that plane down on the ground safely to get it into that airport. And there's only one way for us to get into heaven and to... Uh, be saved, and that's through Jesus Christ. 